0: Okay, welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. In this Corona cast, I speak with a friend of mine who's a mental health worker, and she's discussing some of the frustrations of what she saw at her facility As the COVID crisis hit, I don't want to say too much. I want to keep it to the words that she was comfortable saying. So that's where I'll leave it. Because of the potential risk she would face, she wanted to be anonymous. So we used a pseudonym and I disguised her voice in this recording. Here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy. Okay. So before we get started on some of the the stuff that you've been seeing, why don't you describe for me in more typical times, what your job is and what it looks like. And then then we'll say, you know, how did it change uh, after COVID started? Okay. So um, I work as
1: a mental health worker. So this is different from being a psychologist. Um, We're just kind of more in the uh, counseling range. So I work at a psychiatric hospital, a state hospital in New Jersey. Typically, we run about 45-minute groups in an inpatient setting for those who have bipolar disorder with psychosis, pretty severe cases. And our job is to help them build skill sets in addition to them having their individual or separate uh, psychology uh, sessions, just helping them build skill sets to live in the community or to be transferred to a group home or if they need more extensive care to a facility, but helping them build those skills that they will, they will need. So typically we run like 45 minute groups. Sometimes we do events that are like uh, social oriented to get them to socialize with other patients. Uh, for community building, Each each facility in the state is going to be a little bit different depending on money and resources. We do the best that we can with what we are given particularly the hospital that I work in, doesn't necessarily have all of those resources, but we make the best of what we do, uh, especially considering the fact that the healthcare care system may not always be so kind to these patients. So sometimes the patients will talk to us a little bit more than they would to a psychiatrist or, uh, or a psychologist or a social worker.
0: And so how did, what did you see start changing once the COVID crisis started hitting? Um, I had a little bit
1: of, uh, concern. Um, I can't give out too many details because, um, I, as you know, and and everyone has seen on the news, you know, once that person uh, becomes a whistleblower, um, they kind of get fried, uh, although I don't have a lot to lose at this point. A lot of us have voiced concerns. I know a coworker had voiced concerns because they had experience in another long-term care facility. Just protocols weren't being managed. Um, this person had voiced their concern based upon like years of experience saying, you know, we really can't mix uh, staffing the way that we are. We need to implement these safety protocols now, goggles, all the, uh, all the above. And, you know, they made a pretty good argument about that based upon just what they've experienced at a very small level with infection that kind of went rampant in the previous facility that they work with. And unfortunately, they have witnessed uh, deaths because of it. And we all brought our concerns because it seems like they were changing policies without a permission. They changed us from non-central to central. And the facility didn't show us didn't show our contract. They refused. They were saying that we needed to talk with the assistant uh, administrator, which I thought was uh, was really unsettling. That they, there wasn't any discussion for it. They weren't they weren't enforcing the staff to be really mindful and careful about uh, about protocols, uh, social distancing. They were still running big groups, even though uh, the governor of the state of New Jersey was telling us to be in groups of 10 or less. Uh, the groups that we were continuously running were 10 plus, and it was very impossible to keep them, um, you know, contained. There was discussion on how to do that, even though several co-workers of mine have tried to implement different things and tried to do the to do it in a way that, uh, that would you know, keep safety with the patients. But none of that was really enforced. Uh, it was basically more of a reactive approach rather than a proactive approach, and the administrators just didn't want to listen. As a result, uh, we had an entire floor compromised with COVID right now.
0: So were they were they having folks uh, in your position and or patients wearing masks or no? No, they just implemented it this week. After already, there's been... Yep, we just implemented isolation
1: about a week and a half, even though a lot of our patients were already uh, showing symptoms. Um, I took a page from one of my co-workers being extra cautious, and I was very glad because I came across three people, not in close contact, thankfully, that I needed to isolate, but they were around the same vicinity that had covid And I'm very glad that I didn't get it. I'm glad that I took the
0: precautions because those three people were infected. Mm. What was the thinking behind not doing the masks and the isolation sooner?
1: We were told that it would scare the patients and that they didn't think that we would need it right now. Um, When we had met with the assistant administrator, and I feel bad for my coworkers, they were really frustrated when they were uh, talking about it. Because they were trying to tell them, and this person was really unknowledgeable, they obviously did their homework uh, to talk about all the medical process and journals and stuff, and the infection control and department, I should say the assistant administrator, basically gaslighted them, saying that, they, that there was nothing to worry about, that it was just overreaction. They were trying to even push the drugs that are, the malaria drugs, that now we have studies that it does absolutely nothing. They were trying to say that, oh, that this will blow over very soon. They already have drugs that appear that it works. And this is coming from somebody who who is the head of infection control.
0: Mm. now did you didn't you say you also saw some uh, some safety concerns with uh, some of the custodial staff as well?
1: Uh, yeah, um a lot of the stuff. Uh, I don't even know where to start with that. The implementation of cleaning wasn't consistent throughout throughout the entire process. As soon as they found out that COVID was going rampant in our facility, some of them up and left, and some of them have kind of refused. With you know, it was really um understanding that they kind of left because even custodial wasn't necessarily doing their job correctly, they offer them, because of the shortage of disinfectants, uh, a vendor offered them a, a cleaning solution, and they just put it in a spray and dilute it with water because it's so strong that it could be toxic. Well, they didn't contact the vendor to do that. One of the custodial staff had a question about it, and they took it upon themselves to ask the vendor for my understanding, and the vendor reprimanded the custodial uh, department head, I think, if I remember correctly, because they weren't even supposed to put it in an aerosol spray, because the chemical needed a specific dispenser in order to avoid it getting aerosolized, because it would actually compromise uh, people's respiratory system because it's so strong. Mm-hmm. So the custodial staff decided, no, we can't use this anymore. We can't tell uh, the departments to use this because now it's very toxic. So they took that away and then they just implemented again the disinfectant wipes.
0: So what do you think is the is the big picture problem here? Is it a lack of funding? Is it a lack of caring about people with mental health issues? Is it a, a lack of caring about people with low income is it all the above what's going on
1: it is such a complex um situation right it's, it, it's not just one thing they're just kind of all interconnected mm-hmm. i think uh in light of covid covid showed the light of systemic uh problems across the board we already saw these problems but it has become the norm uh, the norm of uh, you know psychiatric and mental health facilities, or just mental health in general, kind of being ignored, and by kind of I mean they are already ignored. Um, I would go to different forums to talk about it with colleagues, and uh, across the nation we're facing the same issues of just you know being put completely last. Uh, the administration is completely in denial. I was hearing about one psychiatric facility in the state of New Jersey where uh, some medical staff didn't even believe that COVID was going to be a thing. They just outright said, you know, we just don't believe it. And I think that this is just going to blow over. And subsequently that led to more people getting affected and compromised. It does tend to happen a little more in, uh, in lower uh, income populations tend to be ignored the most. I mean, that's not a surprise. There are some statistics that are showing that uh, Latino Black communities are getting hit the hardest. And those are the, typically the communities that don't have a lot of the resources or the money to be able to combat something as large as uh, COVID-19. I think that was one of the reasons why things have failed, particularly in my facility. Another of it was just the lack of this culture. Of, of not listening, uh, this culture of holding administrative power without, um, without really seeing the big picture. Um, this was a problem that existed prior to COVID, and now it's rearing its ugly head during COVID. Um, there's no sense of working together, it's more like business as usual. I think there was also a monetary component of it, um, just to uh, show you how bad things are, were prior, when we were testing people with COVID-19, we were still accepting patients. We were still accepting admissions, especially since a lot of, uh, especially uh, when it was announced that uh, things were shutting down, we were still getting patients. And one of the things that people do not realize is that for each patient, the facility, I'm not sure if it's the administrators, but I know definitely the facility gets money from Medicaid for each patient that is uh, admitted. So I think there is a monetary incentive there of maintaining census because that means that they get
0: money for it. Now, without revealing, I guess, too much about your own particular situation, how are how are you dealing with this as far as um, processing it and your own mental health?
1: Um, you know, I am very, very lucky that I do not live by myself. My housemates have been incredibly supportive. I have friends that have been incredibly supportive to come to the rescue um thankfully i was very I was smart enough to to implement some things earlier on because I knew I was going to be this bad, and I believed my coworker when they said all the things that they needed to say and listening to their story really got me you know putting a face to a to a situation really helped with that, so I've saved up money. Um, a lot of co-workers have put themselves on furlough. I put myself on furlough, which was a really, really hard decision for me to make. Uh, I know it was a hard decision for several of our coworkers to do so as well, from my understanding. So, you know, I needed to keep myself safe. There's still staff that are not adhering to, the, to these protocols. There's still, you know, logistical things that are pretty serious, like uh like, uh, disposing of uh, protective personal equipment in the wrong way. And, you know, I've been I've been alerted to that, and I had to make that hard decision, financial decision, and I have to figure out if staying where I'm staying is going to be worth it. But, you know, jobs are replaceable, human lives are not. The most unfortunate thing is I do I did have some, uh, some deaths that uh, personally happened. So, you know, it's been uh, very hard for me. Um, one of which, I guess that might be revealing a little bit of who I am. One of which was my therapist passed away from COVID about a week ago. Um, they worked in Manhattan and unfortunately, um, because it's such, uh, such the epicenter and uh, they're finding that viral load is a thing. Uh, Just because of the density of population, unfortunately, this healthy, otherwise active person contracted uh, COVID and was not able to recover. So that for me was just kind of like, sealed the deal that I needed to take care of myself, but I am seeking, you know, counseling because this is sustained trauma. You know, with my education, I understand that, you know, self-care needs to come first, but I have to take that responsibility. But at the same time, you know, I feel like the impetus has to be on the employer to make sure that they, it's not just sending an email on resources that, that an employees should connect, they should be offering these things, you know? These mm-hmm. are workers who are responsible for for, uh, for uh, patients in a hospital that are in the double and triple digits, you know?
0: On a, on a bigger level... Um... Moving forward, learning what you've learned, what would you like to see come out of this crisis as far as policy change or culture change around uh, the kind of work you do?
1: We collectively need to redefine essential workers and really, really value them. Everyone deserves a living wage and deserves hazard pay. This is not easy work. I think while the general public means well with, you know, copying uh, for healthcare workers during the change of shifts. That's, I'm sorry, that's just not enough. We need to be angry. The, uh, we need to hold those who have power accountable. Um, there's a lot of corruption in the, in the healthcare system and it's literally killing people. It's literally murdering them or uh, senselessly. Uh, our healthcare workers shouldn't be, you know, improvising their personal protective gear. And, you know, some of the, the mask which they mean people mean well is a, like having tissue paper when you're dealing with somebody who has a novel, novel virus that we don't know anything about. You know, be ex- you know, it's ex- just something as intubating a patient without the proper gear, you're going to get those aerosols in your system. How is this even acceptable that we have individuals basically going in with a flip-flop into war? We need protective gear. We need to change governmental policies as to why we don't have that protective gear. We need to hold this administration accountable that they had about a month that they wasted, a wasted month, and it's resulting in thousands of deaths. It is completely unacceptable that we become first place in most coronaviruses and deaths. This is this is embarrassing and unacceptable and quite frankly horrifying. I think the public needs to be angry during this and after this. We need to hold these people accountable. Look at our look at our systems, look at our socioeconomic systems. There are things that we can live without. Just, just almost overnight, we've shifted our focus and so all of a sudden we have money to do things to support people. Why wasn't this implemented years ago? It, it is possible. The problem is we we as a, as a society kind of let people do this. Let the 1% kind of rule and we can't be asleep anymore. And we need to hold these administrators, these people, this capitalistic uh, murdering accountable. We need to hold those those who who are using the system to hurt people accountable. We can't continue to live like this because it's going to happen again and it's going to be a lot worse. And I think it is possible. We are making it possible. We just have to put the pressure and I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. But uh, it might mean extreme measures, and it sucks that we have that that it, that it is that way. And you know, uh, realistically, this pandemic could last two years. You know, scientists and epidemiologists are, are predicting that it might take until the end of 2021, possibly into uh, 2022. And I hope it doesn't.
0: Yeah, I just saw that uh, yesterday or the day before a headline that says this. Oh, some of these things are going to be in place up till twenty twenty two as far as like the guidelines, the distancing and that sort of stuff.
1: So we need to we need to change this. We need to change the way that we are living if we are to survive.
0: Is there I know you said that some of the, the funds that the people were were getting, uh, some that the facilities were getting or were, were based in Medicaid. How how does the for profit medical uh industry or, or health insurance business fit into your work. Is, is the profit motive in healthcare part of the problem in what you're seeing?
1: So I don't have a lot of contact with that. This is just my general knowledge from talking to my colleagues about it. I think it does, uh, uh, from my uh, position, from observing my patients, I think for-profit for healthcare does affect my patients in terms of getting effective and um, really uh, needed care. I know prior to COVID, a lot of uh, my patients were very delayed in care because their insurance was not on the right page. And so, you know, uh, when you're managing a mental illness on top of a medical illness, those two kind of go together and affect each other. So, you know, when you're fighting with insurances to figure out where you need to go, um, it, it, it can be quite distressing and upsetting. For a patient to be able to not get the care, medical care, on top of trying to manage their mental illness, um, there was an individ- an elderly individual, that needed an important procedure, and it was very much delayed because the insurance didn't accept the provider that they were sending them. So they had, so the you know, social work had to really scramble to be able to see what, like what exactly was covered, what wasn't, and what what provider it was and you know that's precious time to someone's help and if you're homeless well good luck basically you're at the mercy of you know of getting what you're getting in terms of quality care and waiting in long long lines and you know delays of getting uh, medical care of any type
0: and if the the funds aren't there whether through private insurance or or medicaid for for folks like that they're They're just being released to the shelter system or
1: Yeah, basically. Um so when they're like better enough, um they're released to the shelter system. They usually give them meds and some resources, but some of them just go directly to the shelter to be completely honest. And they just come right back. I have one patient tell me and they seem pretty good in their recovery. Um I even hate that I have to use that line, um, because people with mental health issues are not animals, they can be, you know, rational human beings. But um, they were telling me that they actually preferred living in a facility because that meant that they could have, you know, a guaranteed meal, a guaranteed way to, uh, to shower, a guaranteed place to sleep, a place to get medical care of some sort. Their words.
0: So with these policy changes and, and, and culture change around what we prioritize, what we're funding, you know, how we, how we place mental and physical health sort of first above other things, you know, even perhaps before profit, right? It's going to take a fight. Are you optimistic or no?
1: Um, it depends on the day. You know, it really does depend on the day for me. Sometimes they're very optimistic. That when I'm talking to certain people, like-minded individuals, sometimes I'm not because I hear people like, "It's going to be back to normal." I can't wait. What what normal? You know, like they're and that's natural. Everyone wants to go back to some sense of normalcy, but I think it's also you know survival talk. And uh, I I I feel for those who think that way because there is not going to be a semblance of normal after this. Regardless of whether there is some fight or not, things are not going to be as they were. They're either going to get better and or, or worse. I think that they're going to get a lot worse before they get better. Um, because these are uh, growing pains. And uh, someone had told me one, uh, from, or rather several people, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube once it's out. And, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, like eating people delaying loans, I had to delay my loans, uh, different loans I, I should say, and just seeing that this is possible, uh, I, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to question that, you know, uh, what does that, uh, people are, uh, people right now are very much in survival mode, but I think as the year, as the months kind of grow into almost a full year, and there's a lot of people who are unemployed, I think the survival mode will switch to anger. And I mean, I'm kind of, and low-key, I'm kind of hoping so, that we can see true uh, social change. Because how are people going to survive the way they are doing? They're not. And there has to be a solution to that. We have to change our perspectives and change how we do things.
0: What can me and the four people listening to this do today or tomorrow To address some of the things that you were seeing in your facility, or address things that that need that need changing,
1: we need to be more vocal. We need to contact the people uh, who represent us. We need to contact our governors, tell them. I like flood their phones and tell them that this is unacceptable. We cannot continue. You know, first off, we can't continue states uh, trying to outbid each other for equipment. That sounds Horrifying and awful. We are not monsters like this. We should all bond like band together and hold our administration Accountable because they had about three years to handle this and they need to fix it However, they can they need to, they need to fucking fix it. So that's one way the other way for individuals I know this is a really hard one because uh, not all families are able to do this We need to be very mindful of where we spend You know, don't spend on Amazon. Don't don't go to places that treat their employees very poorly, especially during COVID. So, you know, I know that everybody wants to order things out of convenience and and that should always be a last resort to order from places like that. But if you are able to, don't. Don't give your money to places that that have that continuation of not caring for employees. We need to not. We need to show our gratitude in different ways by making PPEs, but also demanding it. Demanding that protective gear by calling your governors, calling your mayors, and saying, "Listen, I don't know what you have to do, but you're in this position and you need to do this." But yeah, usually uh, calling representatives, or you know, or if you're able to organize. You, Organize. Um, I had someone who, or, who staged an organizing. Uh, it was basically an organization where a bunch of uh, us workers didn't show up to work to send a send a message that we couldn't continue as scheduled. Uh, so, if you're able to organize and protest in a safe way, maintaining six feet uh, or in your car, uh, do so. Organize in however way every way. Uh, even, even whether small or big, if you want to, if you band with your coworkers and have them see that this is in their best interest, do so. Like, I mean, it happened in our in our facility that a whole bunch of us just called out. I happened to call out because I was six, but it kind of worked. But a lot of employees just called out one day. So you know, um, if you're able to organize, do so. Uh, just make, just be safe about it. That is what I can think of um, and just kind of keep connected with each other and be on the same page because there's going to be a lot of splitting in the next couple of months of what to do. A lot of emotional and psychological manipulation, especially for those who have a lot to lose in terms of monetarily. They really don't care about you. They may may prey upon your vulnerabilities, but I, I... Encourage those who are listening to not fall into that, to not fall into that temptation that you want everything to be normal now, because that's already too late. Um, Don't let up. Don't, uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is and uh, be as vocal as you uh, possibly can, because if you're not, that's already too late and you're already putting yourself at risk. I already had two people die from COVID that, you know, as much as I love them, they did what they can, but I feel like it's not enough. And you should, and I encourage those, I encourage all of you, to do these things as if a gun was was to your head because it is.
0: Powerful. Anything uh, left unsaid that you'd like to mention, whether it's specifically about the situation going on at your place, or whether it's how you're dealing with it, or, or broader implications. As
1: far as, like, mental health is concerned, I will impart some helpful advice that I got from, from my uh, previous therapist before he passed. Because I know things are very hard right now and very bleak for everybody. Um, one of the things that has helped me is just taking things from moment to moment, acknowledging it, learning how to let go and live to that next moment. I mean, it's really hard. Um, we're under sustained trauma. So we're obviously going to not act our best kind of act really shitty. So give yourself, uh, be gentle to yourself, be patient, be patient with others within reason. Of course, you know, call out BS, but be really patient with yourself and just kind of take things one moment at a time. Um, and kind of go to the next moment. And I guess that's helped me.
0: Okay. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this. And I know it's not without, without any risk at all. And, uh, I want to uh, say that I, I appreciate your your willingness to come forward and your, the frankness with which uh, you spoke.
1: No, oh, thank you. Thank you, Brian, for uh, giving us a voice. I think it's very important to the public to know what is going on. And, um, you know, we're all in this together and hopefully, um, you know, by our actions and our words, things
0: will get better. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay, so that was my conversation with Beatrice. I appreciate you listening. I know it might have been a little difficult with the altered voice, but I hope you got something out of it. You may have noticed that we didn't play our usual game of One Gotta Go. I thought with the subject and tone of the conversation, that was a little out of place. I'm sure it's not sorely missed. Go to briantalksofhumans.net for more info. Follow at BTTHPod on Instagram and Brian Talks to Humans on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. <music>